You are now listening to The Model Mindset. Welcome back, everybody, to The Model Mindset. Today's guest, we are extremely excited because he is an incredible human being. Salt of the earth. Dude has an amazing smile that lights up the room. We're talking about (laughs) the one and only Billy McSheffrey, who is the head strength and conditioning coach at St. John's Prep who has 23 varsity sports. So, Billy, (laughs) welcome to Model Mindset, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super pumped to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for for coming on, man. So let's roll right into it, man. So you've been with St. John's Prep for almost six years now as the head Mm -hmm. strength and conditioning coach. How has your training evolved from year one to now? Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, the running joke at work right now is every time we write a program, we think it's the best program we've ever written. And then every semester we write a new program. So, I mean, we're always evolving. We're constantly auditing our program. And I think you need to do that because you have to evolve. I think there's a, there's a coach, a mentor of mine used to say um, something to the tune of, if you're still doing the same program you did 10 years ago, you're either years ahead of your time or you're way behind the times now. You know, That's so, a great point. I like That's that. A great point. Yeah. And so, you know, you take that to heart, you have to evolve. And, and if you really love what you do, you do evolve because you're constantly learning. Um, so if I have to think back to how things were six years ago, I mean, if you just to provide a little bit of context. So the school is well over 100 years old and they built a brand new wellness center, which then came with a, a strength and conditioning coach position that they never had. So here I was. You know, I was fortunate enough to get the position and here I come and I'm now providing structure to a space that was wildly, wildly unstructured, meaning the kids could pretty much do as they please. There was there was a little bit of um, there was a space for like the the, the sports that already, you know, like your football and, and hockey or, or, or basketball where, you know, there was a sport coach that would probably take the lead, but it wasn't very structured and it and it. And it um, you know, it certainly left a lot of room for, for progress. So, so they created my position and now I'm coming in in my first year, uh, I was talking about this not too long ago with a coworker. Like I can't even remember the problems that we used to have to solve on a daily basis and the things that used to keep us up at night because we just don't deal with it anymore. Um, yeah. But, um, I think I remember coming on and this, you know, it's the first program where I was going to lead. And not only and lead the students, but lead a, a group of, of coaches myself. Um, and I was that intimidating initially. It, I don't think it was intimidating. I was certainly ready for it, but yeah. I knew that there was a lot of things that I couldn't have been prepared for until I experienced it. You know what I mean? So for sure, I was. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say anxious, but uh, you know, I, I lived and slept and and breathed all things. Uh, related to my job for quite some time. And I still do, unfortunately, to some extent, but um, I'm getting better at that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I tried to solve every problem that came across my desk. And some of them I learned to delegate. And some of them I learned that, like, it's just, I don't, I only have so much bandwidth. And uh, a lot of problems, we ended up graduating. Um, I was really lucky. And I, I give a lot of credit to my first year, that junior class. So my, that senior class, they, man, they were, they were tough and they just, 
you know, they're, they're high, high school age kids. They don't necessarily, not all of them have maybe the emotional capacity to handle things the way that they should. Yeah. And that paired with a lot of resistance often led to situations that weren't very kind to anyone involved and um, not to paint like a, a real negative picture because it was, certainly wasn't that, but there it's just, we're such a far cry from, from some of those things we used to, used to face on a daily basis. I mean, I'm the, the standards have been set, um, you know, uh, and, and that we're now the culture is created and, and now we have kids that they, this is all they've known, you know, is our That's program awesome. and the way that we do things. And so, you know, there's not as much resistance in, in that sense. But when you are starting new and you're cre- trying to create a new culture, it's inevitable. You have to, you're going to be met with resistance. And um, we took a collaborative approach. It wasn't Billy McSheffrey's strength and conditioning program. It was St. John's Prep. And we right. got the right people on board um, that to help it. I mean, we created a five-year plan. And I think that we hit that all of our five-year goals in two years. Wow. So we went back to the drawing board and, um, you know, I would say now we solve higher level problems, if that makes sense. Like in the beginning, you're just trying to establish order and structure in the day and, and getting kids to show up on time and wear the right clothes and like all these little things that just yeah. provide a lot of friction to what you want to do. Uh-huh. And now, I mean, I that never happens. Now I get to you know, the structures in place, the kids know what to expect. I know what to expect from them. Very rarely am I kind of thrown for a loop by any scenario. Uh-huh. Um, and I get to spend most of my day just establishing and reestablishing and creating great bonds and, and connections with these kids. So it's just, it's the best. That's really cool. So is has there ever been any challenges? I mean, you said 23 varsity teams, right? So was it was it always that many kids? Like year one, did you have that many kids as well as you do now, or has it grown? Um, that's a great question. I think, so I was fortunate in that the majority of the kids that I work with are the in-season athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to do it that way logistically because I have to work around their schedules. Right. And then we fill in the soft spots in our schedule with some off-season athletes. So. Um, that limits our capacity for off-season athletes, but we still have a strong presence with them. Yeah. Um, so with that approach, I mean, we were kind of just focused on the fall athletes when I first came on board. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously a strong presence with football, it just being our biggest team. I mean, it's a non-cut sport at our school. So um, oh, wow. our, we have in the entire program, which includes middle school, freshman, and JV and varsity well over 200 kids wow um but we predominantly work with just the high school level so um you know that takes up a lot of your bandwidth and then, yeah um and then as this as that year went on we started to become more established and getting some things in order so we were more equipped to work with the winter sports and then even more so in the spring and then we really got our footing at the end of that year going into the next year i mean we the football program, for example, we um, and there's a lot of carryover with kids between sports. We we have some multi-sport athletes. And so mm. in, in that age, those two years, my first two years, there was a ton of carryover between football and lacrosse. So I got to see those kids year round. And so, you know, you just the more time you get to spend with them, the stronger your bonds, you know. Right. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that football team, my first year, I think we were 500, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the next two years, we won a state championship. So there were special wow. kids in that group. They just, you know, they were the underclassmen at the time. Right, yeah. And so before uh, we jumped on here, we had some communication going back and forth on the pod, uh, before coming on the podcast. And you had mentioned training parents of your athletes. How is it comparing adolescents to training adults? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of differences, but there are a lot of similarities too. I think the di- main differences are just uh, motives. Um, and I chalk that up a lot to perspective. I think if you if you put your mind back into your 14 to 18 year old version of yourself, like you're really focused on what's right in front of you. Like your whole world is right in front of you. Um, there's not a like fast forward, however many years later, like you have a completely different perspective on life because of all of life's experiences, right? Right. Um, and that, and this is something I've learned in my time at the prep. Um, but like talking about anything other than the present with high school age kids just doesn't work for them. They don't mm-hmm. connect to. I used to always use an example, like if I had a kid that was uh, late all the time, I would talk about like a future scenario where if they were late for work, they would be fired. Or if they were late to show up for a lift in college, they might be kicked off the team. That doesn't resonate with them. Like they just, it's just, yeah. a, it's just a made up scenario. They, 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 they don't connect with that in any way. And so I stopped doing that. Number one um that's so interesting to me i was just gonna say that yeah because it's like i mean we both have kids and you know john and i are starting to talk to like high schools and stuff as well and that's a really good point like we could really use that so how do you connect with them now so it's not like oh you know you you're not going to be able to do this in college and they're like okay whatever because they're not going there but how do you kind of connect them to be present sure um that's a I mean, there's a lot of layers to the answer, <laughs> and I don't necessarily have all, all the answers, but I will say, and I should have said this at the outset, I do work with all the athletes, but I work with so many more people besides the athletes at the school. So I work with, like you alluded to, and we could talk about it, the parents in a second. I've been able to carve out a space where I can train the parents. Um, I work with faculty and staff members. I work with um a lot of kids that don't play sports that don't have an athletic bone in their body, but yet still want to connect to that fitness space and, and they're on their own fitness journey. And I always go back to this idea that everybody has their own performance. Like we all have this, we can all define performance in our own way. Like we have to perform at things all the time. Like if you're a father, your, your performance could be you know, I'm a dad and I want to be the best dad possible. Like what, how can, you know, my own personal health journey and fitness, how can I connect that to my, my abilities as a father and being the best dad possible or, you know, insert any sort of role that you play in, in, in life. And, uh, and at the high school level, it's easy to connect me and what I do with ath- athletics, but we're talking about kids that are in the band or in uh, campus ministry and or, or um you know uh, in the choir or you know xyz we have unbelievably like we have a um a pilot uh, gr- uh interest group i'm blanking on how i want to describe it but we have 
student pilots that fly airplanes by themselves. What? And so you want to talk about it? Yeah, I. Some of these kids, you couldn't catch me anywhere near. <laughs> airplane. Not telling you, but um, but I think it's really cool that they have that opportunity Ooh. and that they lean into it. And you talk about performance; they might not be throwing a football, but my God, like when it comes to performance, you you're gonna go through that human stress response, and you got to be able to know how to manage it. And if I can uh-huh. connect the fitness space to that process of managing stress and, and, and performing their best at whatever it is that's important to them, I'm going to do that. And so that's how you can connect with, I think, kids at the high school level. Uh-huh. There's a lot of other things we could talk about in that regard. But in terms of how that might be different with, with adults, um, I think, and I've gone through this too, and you guys can perhaps, yeah, you can share some insight, but, um, in my own fitness journey, I'm, I'm 35, I'll be 36 soon. And I, uh, I have found that I have used fitness and exercise more to help manage like that, my, my mental and emotional states than the physical. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And the, the journey that we go on as, as men, I think it, I don't want to paint broad strokes, but I mean, like, the majority of my time when I was younger, like you're just kind of doing meathead things in the weight room, something <laughs> innately uh, or, or, or something inherent about every young boy going in. And the first thing they do is bench press and bicep curls. Like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I know oh, how yeah. that how that works, but more, uh, more weights, more dates, man. That's just yeah. what it was back then, you know? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we still give in a little bit. We have something called arm farm. So we allow them to do oh, bicep farm. Yeah, I've so heard arm farm. Yeah, yeah. Arm farm and they, the boys love it. It's like it's like a like a little dessert for them at the end if they yeah. work hard enough. But uh, yeah, so but with with parents or with the adults, any adult I've trained, I often find that like in my initial intake and my initial connections with them and, and getting to meet them, like we talk about exercise history and that kind of stuff. It's almost like just to get it out of the way. And we don't really talk about that stuff after that. And it's mm-hmm. more about life and, yeah. you know, what's going on in their lives. What is, what are their stressors? I mean, I have parents in my group that have lost significant others when they were when, at, during the time that, that we've known each other. Mm-hmm or if having real issues at home and confide in me and we talk about it and it's like, I, that's real life stuff. I mean, yeah, how absolutely. am I going to connect you doing a squat to right. deal with some of these issues? And so I, I don't play that game and it's more about them knowing that there's at least one person in their world that gives a shit about them, yeah. supports them unconditionally. And, and I have to, you know, and, and I'm fortunate that they, they, I have those connections with them and I'm, and, and that they, they have entrusted me to be this person in their lives. Mm. Um, and I take that really seriously and it's, um, you know, it, it, and we can, we can get into it later, but there's a, a mental skills component to what we do with the prep and I'm really yeah. take stuff with the serious with the parents. And it's apparent that, you know, some of these skills are things that I wish everybody had. And for some reason, I think like, we lack sort of that educational background that allows for the opportunity to, to really learn these skills and master them. I mean, we just kind of grow up and if we're fortunate, we have some good role models that we can learn from or, or life experiences that, that teach us if we're ready to learn from it. And, but there's not a lot of structured learning in terms of 
how to manage your thoughts, how to manage your emotions, yeah. how to, um, you know, manage stress. I mean, it's, uh -huh. we deal with it every day. It's such a human thing. And yet yeah. nobody really teaches us how to do that. Uh -huh. Yeah, man. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're speaking our language right now, but I mean, <clears throat> you're at such a critical age in kids' lives where they're developing, right? You're trying to fit into social groups. And dude, I remember my freshman year of high school, uh, our captain, Ralph Romano, <clears throat> took his life. And I was a freshman. And I will be very transparent with you. I had no idea how to deal with that. I didn't know if I should cry. I didn't know if I should suck it up. I internalized everything. I had no idea how to deal with that. And I remember, you know, coming home because we were able to get released early, the soccer team. And so we would drive around. We were kind of just thinking about Ralphie and we were going, I just remember just being basically like a, just going with the flow with everybody because I didn't know how to feel. And I remember coming home and my mom goes to me, are you okay? And I broke down and then I went back up, but I never talked about it. Yeah, I never yeah. talked about it. And like, even to this day, man, like I still think about Ralph and like, I wish that he would have talked to someone about, Hey, this is how I feel yeah. rather than feeling like that's the only way out. So you're yeah. at like such a critical age to where you can help and impact and influence people from understanding, Hey, you know what? It's fine to talk about your feelings and your emotions. You know? Yeah, because we went through it. And we we really didn't talk about it much. Yeah, I think yeah, um, you go ahead, John. No, I just wanted to chime in real quick with that because not to cut you off, Billy, but I think too. And BG, we've talked about this in the past as well, where like, and it, when we talk about fitness, Brian and I, we always say like, you know, fitness is medicine for your mind. It, it really is. And I think there's a perception of people who are heavily involved in the fitness industry or world. Or, or have adapted that lifestyle, people see that as someone who's very structured and has their shit together. Mm. And it, it almost draws people to you because they feel that they can confide in you. Like you were saying, the parents who maybe have these conversations with you that maybe are so, somewhat personal, right? And you're not mm. sure, like, why are you talking to me, right? But like, mm. there's a level of structure that presented with someone who is in this world and has adopted this lifestyle that I think that's what draws people in. And, and the more we can realize how hand in hand fitness and, and mental health go together, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and it's so interesting the way you kind of have this curriculum too with it all that I, we definitely want to get into as well, that it's, it's, it does seem advanced in, in a sense, man, because like you said, BG, these kids don't know how to handle it. You didn't know how to handle it when you were 15, 16. And these kids are, are still learning it now to this day and, and on how to handle it, I'm sure, too. You know, I don't know for sure, yeah. but I, I don't want to assume, but I would I would assume that's the case. And that's why you have this curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, we might as well just talk about it, Billy. Yeah, so, right. Let's, let's get when, into it, right? When did you, when did you, so when did, was this always like a part of um, St. John's Prep? Or is this something that you knew was needed just from your own personal experience? So I, I'm not the one who created it. Our, so I work for uh, uh, our, my boss is our wellness director. So, so I guess it's important to outline sort of the structure of, of work. But um, in the wellness center, we kind of have these two bodies. We have athletics and we have wellness. And I'm actually under wellness. And I'm with, we have a rec sports coordinator. We have an aquatics coordinator. We have myself. We have our wellness director and a couple other people. And um, 
So uh, he has a, more of a sports psych background. And so he came to the prep and it, we wanted to put it into our freshman PE curriculum. So it's, it's, it's sort of um, uh, supplements a lot of the movement based things that we do with the kids. So we, we, um, we tease out maybe two or three weeks where we just focus on this mental skills curriculum and in each class we, we go over a different mental skill. And I like that word skill because um, when you think about a skill, it's something that you develop and you have to work at it and, and give it its, its due to, to um, refine it and sharpen it over time. And, it's, and it's, we can talk specifically about a couple of them, but um, you know, it, it's not just something that we inherently know how to do. It, it's something that we have to mold and, and work on and continue to refine over time. And yeah. ne it's never, it's never about being a finished product, but it's, if we can, if we can incorporate some of these skills into our daily lives, like the idea is that's a better life for you. So. Absolutely. The one that I really loved was be where, uh, be where your feet are. Can you talk yeah. us through that? I say it every day. Do you, is that like, is that like one of like your, that's my mantra. Like, yes. Say your big core, right? Okay. A hundred percent. And I, it's not, it's not, um, outlandish for me to say that it's changed my life. Um, and, and here, so here's what I'll say. So, um, and I, and I hope, I know a lot of people can relate to this, but really it comes down to um, our thoughts can be very controlling, right? And we have all types of thoughts at all different times of the day. So I forget what this number they throw out, but it's an outlandish amount of, or crazy number of thoughts that we have on any given day. And your thoughts can be sort of ping-ponging off of one another, um, you could be sitting with a real heavy thought that just kind of feels like it's hovering over you. You can be focused and fixed on something that's going to happen in the future, or you can be stuck on something that maybe happened in the past and it's kind of preventing you from moving forward. Um, being where your feet are is simply about, it's a grounding tool or a technique to get you to be present. And it's widely considered that being present and staying present in the moment allows you to put your best foot forward in any situation, allows you to enjoy life as it comes and to appreciate what's around you. I mean, all good things that come to us in life are in those moments where we're fully present. So um, be where your feet are, simply this. Um, what's one thing that you can hear? What's one thing that you can see? What's one thing that you feel, right? So in this example, one thing I see, I see you guys in, on my computer. Um, I could see the white wall in front of me and I got a glass of water to my side. I can feel the table underneath my elbows. I can feel my, um, butt in the chair and my feet on the ground and I can hear some, some cars driving by outside. Right. And if I go through that enough, um, all of a sudden I'm not stuck on something that happened at work. Uh, something that somebody said to me that pissed me off. Um, it's like you're so zoned in. Yeah. And it, it's not like, it's not magic, right? Like I said, right. it's a skill you have to develop it. It's actually yeah. a funny story. I've shared this a couple of times, but the first time I ever tried it, it was like 5.15 in the morning. I'm on my way to work and I'm merging onto the highway on the 95 and some guy cuts me off. And for, I'm not even kidding, probably at least 20 seconds. We're, it's, we're the only two fools on the road and we're just <laughs> flicking each other off. <laughs> <laughs> just laying on the horn and just like 
MFing each other. And like, I don't know who this dude is. I'm never going to see him again. And he, he scoots off. And now here I am driving to work and I've got 60 lacrosse players waiting for me. And they, they're expecting me to be a certain version of myself. And I'm not that person because I'm pissed about something that so, seems so stupid in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. It affects your emotions. And all of a sudden, your thoughts, you know, your thoughts become your emotions and your emotions um, become your actions and your actions become your habits. And uh -huh. um, the key to understand is there's in that vicious cycle, there's a space for us to insert ourselves and stop that cycle. Right. And make it more of a virtuous cycle. And, and, and so in that example, I'm driving white knuckling down the highway, screaming at the dashboard saying, all right, Bill, be where your feet are. Like, like I see trees driving that, you know, I'm trying all this stuff. I'm like, this ain't working. Yeah. And then especially in the beginning, I must, I must have said, be where your feet are to myself. Like be where your feet are, Bill, be where your feet are. And I go through this exercise. Like, I'm not kidding. 20 times a day, 30 times a day. And I'm kind of getting a little bit better at it. And now it's like, if I need, I don't even really do it as much. I don't catch myself doing it, but in moments where like I'm getting caught up in something and I'm letting it affect me and it's preventing me from being present with the people around me, you know, I know that I can go to it as a tool and, and it, it will help. So that's awesome. That's awesome. It, yeah, that's a really great is. tool, man. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, there's that, a lot, there's a lot of grounding techniques out there that yeah. I'm not as well versed in some of the other ones, but that's, that's a, one that I really yeah, like. A lot of, a lot of professional athletes will, will do some kind of grounding before like games or something like that. They, where they walk barefoot on the field. So they want to feel like they want to be connected with the earth, you know what I mean? And that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of different variations of that too, but, um, be where your feet are is great. That's, that's yeah. just great. I, I mean, that. I, you know, we, we talk about meditation a lot, BG and stuff like that. And, and part of my, my routine when I meditate is, is I do a movement meditation where I I'm walking around in a specific area, but I have one spot that I stop and I ground myself. And this is no bullshit just because you said it, this is God's honest truth. And I have, so my footprints are embedded in the ground in this one spot. So the, the grass won't grow around it. The snow will melt first in that spot like everything. And, uh, so like, it's like my spot on the earth that I ground myself. Uh, so it's just very interesting you say that cause it, it's, it's a wildly effective technique. Um, and to, to do it and to do it the way you do it is much, you know, is, is in a space that you can do it anywhere, which I mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? You don't have to be in that one spot and you can be anywhere, which mm -hmm. is, which is really, really, really powerful. Yeah. And you know, too, with, with presences, it's often neglected. Because we're in such a hurry nowadays, you know, and we have that the phone, you know, we have that device in our hands constantly to where it's like if there is that moment where we're bored, we simply go on Instagram or we surf the net rather than be where you are. Yep. You know, I mean, it's huge. And if you intentionally distract yourself. Yeah. Is what you're doing. People, exactly. And if you just slow down and kind of just enjoy where you are. Mm hmm. I think he'd, and it may, he'd enjoy life. It may not even be about the enjoyment either, though. It just it's almost probably a way just to right the ship. You know what I mean? Just yeah. to get your get your shit together, almost. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know, that's that's what's I think the most effective tool of it is that you're just really just having to correct your own behavior in the moment. One hundred percent. I mean, if you can get control of your thoughts and your emotions, um, 
and it's not it's never perfect i mean i could talk about this till i'm blue in the face but trust me i have my moments where i'm like i have no grip on what's going on right now yeah and it's affecting me and it's not a positive way and um you know i think over time i've learned to give myself a little bit more grace i mean mm-hmm. i i often say now like oh it's just part of the human experience like if something comes up and i just like i could beat myself up over it and sometimes i do but more now than ever i just i allow myself like a little leeway and say you know it's it wasn't for a lack of trying or whatever the situation is it's like it's out of your control and um let's move on and try to be better yeah yeah and we had uh we had Lori singer on our podcast uh in january and in her book she's a licensed uh marriage family counselor and she said, you control your thoughts. Your thoughts don't control you. Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think, yeah, I think you have to, it's a skill set you have to learn. I mean, I, uh-huh. I fully wholeheartedly believe, but um, there's another step to that. And that is developing that skill. And, and it's not something I've always had. And I'm not even the best at it, but yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody out there has the capability. And it's my hope that you know, people are, are introduced to this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what too, man, I was like, look, you're right. Cause I totally like kind of glossed over it there. I, it, it's a daily practice. Like yeah. John and I, for example, like every day we do something to where we're working on focusing our mental health. Like every morning I hop on the treadmill, just walk for 20 minutes, but then I do a five minute meditation and breathing exercise. And it's to exactly what you said calm the thoughts in my head, be present and prepare for the stress that's going to come my way. And then I have a, a, an intense workout, but it's all intended to prime my body and my mind for the day to come, you know, and you, it's a daily practice. I do it every single day. That's awesome. Yeah. So you have, you know, the practices you incorporate with when your trainings as well. Right. And, and I want to get back to that because I, I do find that to be very interesting. And there's one thing um, when we were kind of prepping for this and uh, BG thought of the question, it was and it was a really interesting question. So I want to ask this. I don't want to forget to. Um, what is a component of your training that you focus on that is often neglected or overlooked? Oh boy. I know I know because we, so, we touched on the mental part and I feel like that's a big one, right? That could be overlooked and you guys put a, a strong emphasis on it and kudos to you for doing that. Yeah. Or is there anything, you know, physically that you've discovered, you know, over the years that may have been overlooked and you've you've put an effort forth in developing it? Yeah. Um, I think the mental aspect is certainly a big component of that. I, I yeah. don't necessarily like I'll be the first to tell you our programming is incredibly simple and I think uh-huh. it's by design. I mean, I think a lot of people in the fitness space and the strength and conditioning world, um, Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll create things or, or they'll make things like a simple idea, incredibly complex. And I often wonder how much of that is just, um, show security. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I wonder the same, man. When we see some, we see some stuff online or whatever, like, you know, I'm sure you see it all too. It's like, why, you know what I mean? You're just like watching. You're like, okay, cool. But why, you know? Or even something as simple as naming exercises. Like, let's yeah. just call it what it is. Like, what is the person actually doing? Let's not call it after a country. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not come up with some 
like abstract name, like incorporating like a like a Superman name for right. Just, yeah, like, let's just call it for what it is. So, anyways, that, that's a <laughs> um, I will say that the one area in our training where we've experienced the greatest amount of growth is our speed development. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and I'm not going to speak for every strength coach. Um, there's actually a tremendous amount of strength coaches that come out of Enfield. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, you know, I know Jeez. you're good friends with Chris and yeah. um, Tim Karen and yeah, um, he's coming on the pod later on. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, I don't know him personally, but I, I mean, I know who he is and I, and obviously I have friends that are close with him, but um, Mark Zabicki, he's uh he was at URI, he was at Stonehill and now he's at um St. Mark's. I think I saw, he just took a job there, but it's weird. Like Enfield of all places, there's it's a know, factory. It's a factory. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to put myself in the same same air as those, some of those guys, but um, I will say that uh, just in the last probably three years, and this was really born out of an offhand conversation that we had with, or I had with a principal, but he simply just asked me, you know, what's the one area in your programming or your coaching where you feel like you have the most to improve? Like, what are you basically, what are you worst at? Yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it's speed. It's all things speed. And I think, and I want to speak for most strength coaches, but it's it's very easy for coaches along the way of their career, you know, path. They kind of ad adapt or, or, or adopt different training modalities or training ideas from the people that they learn from naturally. Uh -huh. And most strength coaches, their expertise is in the weight room. And if they don't have a track background, you might pick up maybe two or three speed exercises or what you think are actually developing speed. And you kind of find a space to plug it in, in your program and, you know, look the other way. Yeah. Like a better way to put it. And, uh, I know there, I and always knew there was way more to that, but I, I, I always felt like ignorance is bliss. Like if I don't look too far down this rabbit hole, I, I won't find yeah. out. I don't know. And, but it was a great conversation. He's like, okay, who are the best in the world? So I came across this company called Altus. They, at the time, they were based out of Phoenix. And he's like, all right, we'll go shadow them. Like, we'll pay for you. Like, this, I'm telling you, my job's unbelievable. So they, so I flew out to Phoenix. And I learned from some of the best, smartest people I've ever met in my life. It was, without question, the greatest continuing ed experience I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of a ton. And I've met a lot of great, smart people. But uh -huh. this particular week i was out there for a week and i was like okay i'm hooked like now i really need to dive down this rabbit hole and so i mean it got to a point so fast forward and i'm jumping over a lot of different steps but i'm now the sprints coach on the track and field team and uh, you know i went from somebody who didn't really know how to make somebody that's faster. amazing yeah and now i'm working with our fastest kids and but not only that i mean we're implementing proper speed work with our team sport athletes and kids that just want to train with us year round. And that's yeah, the yeah. coolest thing for me. Cause that's how you develop speed. It's not an off season thing. You have to, it's the quote that gets often quoted is speed grows like a tree. Like you got to tend to it frequently. Like the yeah. best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And yeah, it's so true. Like you, it, you have to water it. You have to tend to it. You have to give it sunlight. Like you, it, it's a, you're a baby that you're nurturing. You can't just, do it for eight weeks and then come back to it a year later. That's not how it works. So, uh -huh. so how do you, how do you get faster? 
But can yeah. you give us some examples of some exercises? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to see some people spurting off there. Hey, I listen to your yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I guess it should come with a disclaimer. I don't necessarily think like any working adult that has to like move around and go to work every day, like the risk reward for hamstring injuries as you get older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at the high school level too, but um you know, kids are so resilient that you can, it's right. really hard to mess them up and not that I'm trying, but uh, yeah. we're very lucky in that way. But as you get older, all things start to start to fall apart at some point. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, I try to keep it as simple as possible. So you can kind of chalk up speed into two categories and I'm going to oversimplify and, and I'm going to leave out some things, but it's by design. Um, you know, acceleration and max velocity. So, because those are two, there there are distinct characteristics between both. So, max velocity is your your top speed. Um, the majority of high school athletes accelerate in a reach top speed somewhere between twenty and thirty yards, right? And and it's at that point that you are creating the greatest greatest amount of force into the ground, um, and the direction of force is highly is majority of that is vertical in nature because at that point you're mostly upright your legs are cyclical and the movement is cyclical and you're, you're largely creating forces straight down into the ground to overcome gravity a little bit of wind resistance etc the propulsive forces are largely seen in a horizontal fashion through acceleration and that's when your legs are more piston like and it's not like these cyclical uh -huh. sort of leg patterns. It's 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 highly, um, you know, it's aggressive. It's it. I, the analogy I always use with our athletes is like acceleration needs to be like this airplane taking off versus a helicopter popping up. Uh -huh. And we and you know it sounds contradicting, but especially in track and field, you kind of want to you not kind of you need to be patient through your acceleration because if you if you get through it too quickly and, and, and pop up, you know, the, the, your mechanics are, are to a point where you're not creating the kind of forces you need. And uh -huh. nobody ever wins a race at 40 meters in a hundred meter race, but right. you can lose it. Yeah. So you yeah. still need to develop, uh, uh, acceleration, but, but with those two concepts in mind, you can start to model or, or, or create training programs around attacking both. Right. And, um, I I think that it's important that you train max velocity two to three times a week year round. So our guys sprint twice a week week on timers. So we're fortunate enough that we have um, um, lasers. You know, uh -huh. it's called Brower timer system, um, and we do flies. So effectively, it's a we do a twenty five yard run into the first timer. They sprint through. We do in one example, we'll do ten yard fly. And we'll space the timers 10 yards apart and they're trying to minimize their time as much as possible so the faster that they go the and we actually had a kid today break the school record in the 10 yard fly which is pretty really awesome. first kid in school history ran 23 miles an hour whole yeah. 23 as stupid fast yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he in track and field he's probably if all things go according to plan knock on wood by the end of this year he should be like a 10-7 kid in the hundred Wow. holy cow and those kids don't grow on trees those that's not like the population right right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not yeah. you're not just pumping those out <laughs> no, yeah right. I, wasn't, I expect my bonus to be in the mail anyway. yeah right <laughs> um, 
no, uh, he, he's a really cool story. I don't want to go out too, on a t- too far on a tangent, but the, the power of our strength and conditioning program, the thing I'm most proud of is it provides opportunity for kids when they, they're not looking for it. So this kid was a hockey player his entire life. Um, junior year, he gets cut from the hockey team. When that happens, it's a, often a time where kids kind of flounder and trying to find themselves, especially nowadays where kids only play one sport and they start to specialize. The problem, the biggest problem with that, in my mind, is when you tie your identity to one thing and you find failure in that thing, your entire identity is a failure. But if you if you're able to spread yourselves out and have an identity in multiple aspects of life and you experience failure in one, it's if your, your other parts of your being are able to buffer that. And so we see a real Fucking issue. What you just said right there, continue, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, interrupt anytime. I mean, I, no, 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 that, that, that shit was, was good, beautiful. man. No, yeah, that's going. beautiful. We're making a reel yeah. out of that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that, um, you know, we have a real issue at our school where there's a lot of kids coming up and as a freshman, they expect to make our varsity teams because – you know, the way they think them, and some kids do, but our school is, I mean, last year we won nine state championships. Yeah, that's competitive. It's it's high level high school athletics in Massachusetts. It's legit. And it's no shame in being on the JV team as a freshman and junior, you know, and some of these kids that freshmen, they they make, they get cut in their sport. They, they leave the school and it's a shame it's just we're teaching the kids the wrong things and it's it's yeah. we're, we're trying to really work on building resilience in these kids and my god we offer so many th- programs for the kids outside of athletics for them to connect to and and find themselves in and and in, in an effort to keep them at the school certainly but also to to show them that there's so much more to life than just who they think of themselves how they think of themselves as athlete in x sport mm-hmm. um so anyways, back to uh, to speed development. So yeah, so we, we do max velocity work two times a week. And that's kind of where we w- have been for the last three years. And, and it's it's that simple. I mean, you literally, um, you, you, you have them on the timers two to three times a day or two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of volume. It's a yeah. max effort. The reason why I like the timers is because it it forces this intrinsic motivation, right? Like before we had timers, I'd tell two kids to go run, go sprint. And it's like, I think they ran fast. I'm sure, I think they were trying, mm-hmm. but now the timers provide that immediate feedback. And over time, I know how fast this dude's supposed to be. And if he's mailing it in, number one, I'm you better believe I'm going to say something, but in, or at the very least explain to him, like, this is not how you develop speed. You have to constantly... You know, at times, with given the volume that we're we're training them at, like they really need to be close to their ceiling in terms of speed as often as possible, um, because we're only doing it so often every week, and uh, you need to prioritize it. So it has to be done as part of the warm up or just after the warm up. It, it the I'm going full cir- circle here to your no, question. You know, please do. And I mean, this is fascinating. To, so. The, uh, the the question was, you know, what's the one area uh, where you feel like is often neglected? I would say my biggest area of growth from speed development was that I used to think the weight room was the answer to everything. I used to think I was getting my kids faster from the weight room. Um, 
And it's one of those things where it's like, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So like my skill set and my tool that I had was a weight room. And I thought it was the answer to everything. And throughout this speed journey I've been on, I had it backwards. I think all the speed work is the reason why our kids are stronger than they've ever been and how we haven't really experienced too many plateaus throughout the training year with our kids. And it's, it's the, being consistent in, in the speed. And I think it's because the stimulus that you put on the nervous system. So just to be very clear, sprinting is not a muscular event. It's a neurological event. You're training your nervous system. Um, it's, it's electrical and it's, um, that's why like bodybuilders and world like powerlifters, like if it was a muscular thing, they would be the fastest dudes in the world. Right. But they're not even close. And when, when you're talking about speed and, and, you can get technical here, but when you're talking about velocity, and velocity is, is described in meters per second. Well, if you look at Usain Bolt, okay, and, and I, I'm cautious about sort of using the best in the world as examples because it's kind of <laughs> the outlier, thing. right? Yeah. He's a yeah. unicorn. Right. But I think it paints a good enough picture. When he was sprinting at full speed, he was creating, first of all, he's moving 12, 13 meters per second or whatever it was. He, I saw something the other day, this dude, so I just kind of talked about how high school kids on average accelerate through 20 or 30, at which time yards and they, uh -huh. they reach max speed. This guy, the, when he's, he set the record in the hundred, he was accelerating through 80 meters. He That's was accelerating so almost the length of a football field. That's oh insane. God. That is insane. That so is he, wild. Every time he his foot strikes the ground when he's running at full speed. So, like, if you ever took a uh, stopwatch and you try to click it as fast as you can to get the least amount of yeah. time under a tenth of a second, that's how long his foot spends on the ground. And in that time, he's producing almost four or five times his body weight. That is incredible. So that's absurd. What, what exercise or or thing that can you do in the weight room that replicates that? The answer is none. Can't, yeah. You cannot replicate that. There's there's a, a growing sector in the field that's looking at velocity-based training, and I don't really have an opinion on it one way or another, so I won't you know, give you mine, but um, it's measuring velocity, usually velocity of, of, the, of barbell, for example. Mm. Um, but I mean, you're talking so, still somewhere between one and two meters per second. I mean, you're not even sniffing 10, 12 yeah. or whatever, you know, our kids are probably somewhere around eight or nine. Uh -huh. I mean, I can't replicate that. And, and the way, because it's a nervous system thing, you have to respect the nervous system. It's king. It rules everything. So you uh -huh. have to train when you're fresh. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of somebody named Tony Holler. Um, so He's somebody I would that check out if you haven't already, but he's a he's a high school chemistry teacher in Illinois, but he's a track and field coach for the last 40 years. And he puts out really good content on YouTube. He's he's a little rough around the edges, but he's 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 funny enough. But he's I mean, he, he's I think he's really brilliant because of how simple he he talks about speed. And he says things like never let today ruin tomorrow. And I mean, in, in that in context like if i have an athlete it's like i don't know i'm like i'm a little sore and feeling it's like we're not sprinting mm -hmm. you know well like it's it's not worth potentially putting you at risk there you go right a kid yeah. pulls a hamstring we're set back somewhere between one and three months yeah yeah and we're not 
we're not God. Like I, you know, strength coach, like a common strength coach answer is when, like, what is your role? It's like, you know, get my athletes better and reduce injuries or something like to that tune. And you can reduce the likelihood of injuries happening, but you ain't preventing them because they're still going to happen, especially in contact sports. And, you know, we're not without our injuries, but we're, we're pretty damn close to zero. And I'm very proud of that because we take a less is more approach. It's like we, uh, I, when I first came in our programming, we would do six big lifts every day in the weight room. We do, um, we'd have two different sets or two different, uh, phases. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're, we, uh, we'd have two different, um, groups. I'm, I'm, it's been a long day. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> You're good, brother. <laughs> two sets of three different exercises and then we can do three and then we move on to the next. Yeah. Um, and I went from six to five, and now we only do four lifts when the guys lift with us, and we've never been stronger, and we're doing less. That's incredible. That, like, that, like, that, that kind of goes back to what we were saying before, like, you know, this is the, the progression of how, like, things are evolving. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, the, more, the more you're able to digest and learn, the, like, the, to keep it simple, stupid, I'm, like, that's a timeless saying, right? But, like, goddamn, it is, like, foolproof. It really is like, it's just, yeah. And, um, yeah, we are, we do less. Um, we keep it incredibly simple. And like I said, we've, we've never been stronger. Um, and you know, my job is I, I, like, if I could, if somebody asked me like, what is it that I try to do from a performance standpoint, from a performance standpoint, I try to make my kids as fast as possible as strong as possible while keeping them as fresh as possible. And that might be the most important thing is keeping them as fresh as possible because, um, you know, would you rather have them be, um, you know, 80% healthy, but at their, you know, or a hundred percent something or another, or would you want them a hundred percent healthy at 80% in shape? And so it's like, I would rather my kids, you know, be maybe a little less prepared from a work capacity standpoint, but they're hundred percent healthy and available and, and versus the other way around. I'm not going to pound yeah. the kid into the ground to try to build up their, their conditioning only to have them limp to their game. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we've, we've talked about the mental component. We've talked about the training modalities. I think it's only fitting to now talk about nutrition with high school kids, with middle school kids, that could be very challenging. So do you also keep a simple approach there? And, and with it being like a prep school, do they offer great, healthy breakfast, lunch options? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's an area that can be highly comp overcomplicated. Um, and it's, I mean, there, there are people that will die on their hill when it comes to all things, nutrition and, I don't subscribe to that. I, first of all, I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't prescribe. I feel like that's a disclaimer I need to put out there. There you go, but no, <laughs> well, we'll flash it on the screen. Not a nutritionist. Yeah. Not a yeah. nutritionist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't prescribe meal plans. I don't do anything like that. We take a habit-based approach, right? And and I I think that served us well in in, in many arenas because everything's contextual. I mean. To back up a little bit, the issue usually with our kids is that 
not I, being a, able to identify what they should be eating. I think a kid can tell the difference between an apple and a Snickers bar. The problem is their habits that prevent them from eating the right things or their, whether it's a lack of discipline or just simply the habit of, of, of setting themselves up and setting their day up to make the right choices more likely than not. That's um, a great point. So I'll give you an example. Um, we might identify with a kid that nutrition or uh, excuse me, hydration is an area where they can really improve, right? We, we, whether it's a questionnaire or it's just through a, a conversation, coach, I don't really drink any water throughout the day. Instead of trying to sort of play, uh, you know, a psychoanalyst and say, well, why aren't you drinking any water? What's preventing you from doing that? It's like, okay, um, what's your day look like? Um, uh, when do you think you can drink a glass of water? I only want you to drink one glass of water. I don't want you to drink half your body weight in ounces or anything like that. I just want you to drink one glass of water. Can you do that? And if the, if the, if the response is, yeah, that's it. That's what you want. When it's yeah. so simple and so easy, that's where you start. And so I always say the easiest thing for me is to just tell them, the first thing you do when you wake up every morning, before you brush your teeth, before you go to the bathroom, before you shower, anything, fill up a glass of water and chug it. And it sounds really simple, and that might not work for everybody, but for That's the what most, we do. <laughs> I was going to say that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like because if that's all the water they drank that day, at least they did. At least they drank one more glass than they're accustomed to. And the mm -hmm. thought process is simply over time, if it becomes ingrained and habitual. Then you can move on to the next step. And that is, all right, let's see if we can sneak on sneak in glass number two. You know, let's talk about drinking water at lunch or whatever it is. And that's yeah, that has to be the approach. Um, because I mean, these kids are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Like they're not making the decisions in terms of what food comes into the household or what they have access to. So I, I can't talk to them about what they need to you know buy or, or what kind of foods they need to look out for we do talk a little bit about navigating nutritional information so determining like what's a reputable source of information um, when it comes to, to looking at food labels that kind of thing but by and large it's like let's start with one habit um, you know in the summertime we we train for eight weeks so we do bi-weekly habits so every two weeks they get a new nutrition habit everybody gets the same habit we have 300 kids in the summer and every day I'm talking and like they're warming up. That's my time to say, hey, did we what how'd our habit go last night? Or how did how'd our habit go yesterday? Did you get your post work shakeout in? What did we have? We we follow a good, better, best approach. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that's really the way to go because you know, within your your group, you could have a, a various socioeconomic backgrounds and um, not everybody's going to have access to the same resources or, or same people that will be as supportive. So if you can say good, better, best, and I will take, I'll, let's find out where you are and let's try to pick the one that's a little, let's start with good. Okay. Like, can you give me uh, chocolate milk? Can you go, can, do you have access to chocolate milk? Uh, no. Um, okay. Well, let's start with water and you know, some peanuts or something. Um, if you can do chocolate milk, okay, let's, let's do a glass of milk or a, a water and whey protein or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and if kids are really good at that, let's build a super shake. Let's, yeah. like, let's put some stuff in the shake and oh, let's yeah. get after it. And right. uh, 
that way we can really reach everybody without like, like if I came right off the top said, everybody needs to drink a super shake after they left. I'm losing half the kids immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tune me out. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> That's such a good point, man. That is. And do, cool. do you incorporate the same kind of methodology, uh, methodology with um, like recovery? Cause you were talking about like keeping them fresh, right? Mm -hmm. So like, is the process of keeping them fresh as simple as your nutritional approach and all those things too? Yeah. Um, I struggle with recovery cause I actually think I'm part of the problem. We, we have kids like to me, recovery starts with sleep. Um, 100%. And yeah. I ask kids to come and lift with me at six 30 in the morning every day. Mm -hmm. So like, I, it's, I'm like talking out of both sides of my mouth, but that's just, unfortunately, if I was king for a day, we would change the structure of the school day so that I can spend more time with the kids in, in the middle of the day and not ask them to and allow them to sleep later and right. go home earlier. I mean, it's legit. It's a hard school. It's very demanding academically, mm -hmm. very obviously demanding athletically, but socially, I mean, and, and every which way you turn, there's, there's a lot of pressure, um, and, and stress and, uh, part of the issue was sleep. We, there was a story there. We had a football player that was spread so thin. He literally, he was taking all AP classes. He's a really good athlete. He would get home from football. So he would lift with me at 630 in the morning. He'd go to school from 8 to 230. Football practice from, you know, maybe meet with a teacher for 30 minutes and then football practice from 330 to 6. He'd go home. He'd stuff his face with dinner. He'd go to bed. And then he'd wake up at 3.30, 4 in the morning and do his homework and then go to school. Oh, oh my God. I, I don't even remember doing homework in high school. I was like, just going to say that. Like, no, first off, that kid is, he's built different because that's, yeah. that's some, that's but some dedication. That's, but like, it's your problem. He's probably affecting the, 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 the development of like his mind and his body and all that by just killing his sleep like that. A hundred percent. And that's the real issue. It's like, okay, the kid lifted a, a little bit this morning, which is great, but provided the context I just laid out, like it's not that great. And, yeah, right. you know, I mean, there's studies out there that are saying at the, at this age level, I mean, they need 10 to 12 hours a night yeah. to develop because their brain's not fully formed. And I promise you, we're not having any students get anywhere near that mm -hmm. because of the demands that we put on them. So again, going back to recovery, it starts with sleep. And I know especially in the advent of, of cell phones and nowadays with the cell phones. And I mean, we're all guilty of it. Right. But like, especially these kids, like they're on their phones until one in the morning. Yeah. And even when they're not coming in early to lift with me, that's just not a quality night's sleep. Um, and, and so we kind of got it backwards. Now all the rage and all of our kids have those massage guns. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. so, so they're, you know, here we are, <laughs> We've got these kids in the bottom level of the weight, weight room rolling out and, you know, hitting themselves up with these massage guns. But you only <laughs> slept five hours the night before. It's like, what are we doing? Right, right. So that that's where, you know, I, I can kind of insert myself to, to have that conversation. I also address it with the parents. I make sure that I get it on that. So I'm not the only voice kind of sharing a certain. Uh, and I don't really get any uh, kickback from the parents. They're always very, you know helpful or thankful that we're, we're talking about this kind of thing. But yeah, I start with that. And then, um, 
Yeah, when it comes, like I said, when it comes to nutrition, it's contextual. It depends yeah. on the kid and and where their weaknesses are and where they feel they can create change right away, and then we just build from there. Yeah, man, your approach seems wildly effective, man. I, I, yeah. It's it's very interesting to hear you talk about it because it's like you said, you, you keep it simple, but obviously it's extremely effective too. So it's really really yeah. interesting. It's simple in theory, but it's difficult to put in practice. Well, of right? course, yeah. I'm definitely not downplaying it. I'm just yeah. saying the way you talk about it makes it digestible. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to. You have yeah. to. I mean, there's just, if you can ever put yourself in the mind of a high school kid or go back to when we were in high school, you're thinking about a million different things and none of it really <laughs> conducive to your health or, you know, that's that's not to say that we don't have a lot of kids that are very aware of their bodies and take it very seriously. We do. I mean, a ton of kids, they make my life incredibly easy and they make me look good. But, um, but, uh, by and large, the majority of the kids certainly could benefit from more sleep and, and some yeah. better nutritional strategies. Well, dude, this has been a lot of fun. And, and I have one more question for you because clearly you make an impact on the kids that you work with on a daily basis and the parents and everything. And I firmly believe, you know, just for me and my experience, you know, I've had a great coach, soccer coach that believed in me, impacted my life. I had a teacher that really impacted me as well. Is there a story that maybe you could share that you still kind of reflect on where you made a huge, significant impact on maybe an athlete or like you were saying, a kid from the band that came to you that just said, hey, I want to get stronger. And you ended up really having a connection. They opened up to you and you really impacted them. Do you happen to have a story or anything like that? Not to put you on the spot. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I will say this. Uh, at the end of every school year, the seniors write thank you cards to people that they want to write them to. And so every year That's I'll amazing. get a couple of them. Yeah, it's really cool. It's very impressive. And uh, uh, I can't tell you how many times a kid will write a card and he'll highlight an interaction that we shared together. And I don't have, I never have a re any recollection of that. And so there are all these moments in my life where I'm like, today's a day where I think I can create change. And, you know, I, I want to talk about this with this team because they need to hear it and this, that, and the other. And so often like those points where the kid connects to your message or you or, like they're never when they, we think they are, you know? Um, and I, and that to me is just, it speaks to like, it's hard to do, but you really have to be present for the kids when, when they present themselves, because you never know when that moment's going to be for them. You never know when they're going to connect with what you're saying. We say it all the time. You can't give up on kids. Sometimes it takes them all four years. And sometimes you just feel like maybe you never really reached them, which certainly happens. And then other times it's almost immediate. And so it's, you got to stay consistent in your approach of working with kids at that level. Um, last summer, we had a we had a big offensive lineman, our football one of our football captains. So very, you know, uh, great reputation, um, well liked by his at, his uh, peers to be voted captain and very athletic. He's an offensive lineman, and uh, I I remember this. This was more of an impact on me and a powerful moment for me. But um, he he was going in the wrong direction in the weight room from a strength perspective. Um, and it, he, uh, he had a moment by himself quietly and it, I didn't want to embarrass him, but he was started to cry a little bit, uh, because he was failing at numbers that he had no business failing at. And he was proved to himself and to others that he's much stronger than that. Um, 
And I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want to show him up or anything, but I kind of came around him when I said, listen, he had just started a new summer job. And so, yeah, in, in, a, in a vacuum, we're doing the same things and he should be doing more from a weight room perspective. But in his life, it's the first time in his life he's ever worked a full-time job and it's in the summer and he's outside all day. And then he's going back and doing offensive O-line, D-line stuff, and then coming back and get up in the morning the next day. And so it was early on in that process for him where he was trying to just adjust to his new normal. And just as, as quickly as I could, I just explained that to him. I was like, uh. let's take a step back and think about all the ways, ways in which your life is different right now. And you can't compare to where you've been, but you will adapt. And he just kind of had like a, oh, yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah. Reaction to that. And I remember walking away from that thinking like that was a that was a key moment with that kid. And yeah. I love that kid to death. I love all my guys, but I I have a real good relationship with him and he's got a bright future. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's, That's awesome, cool man, story. because not only did you share the impact that you're having on them, but clearly they impact you as well. Oh, my God. Awesome. I, I don't deserve these kids. I'm telling you, they're, they're just <laughs> they're such special kids. They they. They're just full of imagination and, you know, there's no two days alike, like truly there's no two days alike. I'm always presented with new conversations and new thoughts and um, new challenges. Like I tell you, you can't go to these kids and say, because I said so, because that doesn't fly. Like you have that, <laughs> you got to come with your, with your guns and you got to be prepared to defend why you want kids to do something. <laughs> and if, and if, uh, and and they, I mean, I've worked with some kids that undoubtedly are going to be high, highly successful politicians. Let me tell you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun, Billy. So we yeah, appreciate man. the time, man, and thank you for coming on the Model Mindset, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks.